0: hello everyone i'm daniel litwin the voice of b2b and welcome to another podcast. Today I'm joined by John Shanahan. He's the president and CEO of Ionogen and JPS Communications. And John is coming on to talk about a very specific issue, but one that often has a chain reaction if not treated correctly, and that is cleaning products in public spaces. It sounds like something that the system already has down pat, but John is here to explain that that's often not the case. And when you're using the wrong chemicals to clean or disinfect, either you're completely missing the mark or you're endangering workers in the chain of operations. So John, great to have you on the podcast. How you doing today?
1: I'm great, Daniel. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for taking this time to have a chat.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was flipping through your pre-interview survey, There was one quote that you put out that really caught my eye, and that was the leading blue glass cleaner can kill you, and the leading disinfectant wipe does not kill anything, which sounds like a pretty grim status for the disinfectant industry, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so dissect that quote for me a little bit.
1: If we think about how cleaning solutions and cleaning chemicals come into our lives, we very often casually, both in our homes, but more importantly, in our workplaces, bring these chemicals in, into play. And certain things have been around for a long, long time. Uh, you know, the leading blue glass cleaner came into the market in 1953. And, you know, there's a certain perception that goes along with old companies. We might say, well, that company's been around a long time. Of course, they would never make a product that would be harmful or, or, or bad for me.
0: Right. Or, or you would assume that since they've been in the market long enough, there's been... You know testing and there is proven data around its uh, reliability
1: well you, one would assume that but there's no governmental regulation that covers the toxicity of cleaners in our society so companies can manufacture anything that cleans without any governmental intervention and so we've been adding more and more aggressive chemistry to these products things like phthalates and and other very, very toxic chemicals. And so uh, one of the most common things that happen is that a a simple thing like, well, I'll just go clean the windows in my home or I'll go clean the windows in this building because I'm responsible at my school, church, hospital to, to clean the windows. Well, so you spray this product and a high percentage of it you breathe in through your nose and your mouth. The other high percentage lands on your skin. And what I've often asked people, and it's it's funny how many people don't realize this, but the largest organ of the human body is your skin. Ev- everything that lands on your skin goes straight to your kidneys and your liver. And, and anything we breathe in through the nose and the mouth goes straight to the lungs. And it's not uncommon to find workers who have been these venerable custodians in your children's public school, or the people who are trying to protect you from a hideous germ at a hospital that retire after years of work with COPD, with lung damage. These are not people that have been smoking. If you think about the average hotel, uh, you check into a nice hotel or, or, or even a business class hotel, some person, typically a female, typically of childbearing years, is in there spraying these chemicals all around all day long. And the incidence of worker illness is extremely high. But the flip side of that is um, these chemicals remain on the surface so that when you go pick up the TV remote in that hotel room or your son or daughter sits down at their desk in, in their school, their hands are now in contact with these multiple chemicals that have been left on the desks and the tabletops. And so when we look at how children today are struggling with more and more learning disabilities, attention deficit. A lot of people say, well, that's just gaming and things like that. Certainly that can have an attribute to it, but it is the chemistry and chemicals that were not present years ago that are very, very common today. And so these chemicals, when they get into our system, they can affect the way we see, the way we breathe. Um, And a comprehensive study done over 20 years at at Emory University in Atlanta they determined that these chemicals can affect the way children learn. And so when we leave these chemicals loose in our society, um, it, it, it can cause real problems. Now, when we talk about disinfectants, well, that's even worse. The leading disinfectant used on wipes that you'll go pick up at the local grocery store or that you often see in schools or hospitals, these kind of wet, moist wipes, you pop the top open and you pull that out, from some of the biggest brands, uh, 100-year-old companies, are powered by a disinfectant that's called a quaternary ammonia. It isn't competitive mischief to say that five leading universities in the United States have targeted these products as cancer-causing, not suspected cancer-causing. They are cancer-causing, but they're available in the market. So... I happened to be outside of my dentist's office the other day. The technician was getting ready to prep the room, and they have a big window where you could look through, because, you know, dentist's office today, to make them more relaxing, they let you look outside, and they get you calm.
0: Right, while they're drilling into your
1: mold. <laughs> <laughs> Try to give you a little piece before exactly. the pain begins. Well, th- my technician, a, a young woman named Molly, was in there, um, she had just finished with a guest, and she had pulled out a wipe out of this container. And she wiped 11 different surfaces in that environment. And now she didn't have any gloves on when she was wiping. So the chemical, which happened to be a quaternary disinfectant, was going right through her skin into her body. Now, Molly's only 24, and Molly is actually pregnant. And I said to her, Molly, do you think that it's a good idea that you want your baby drinking the chemical that came out of that container? And She said, I I never thought of it that way. We we take these chemicals so incidents at such a low level of incidence, and we deal with them so often, that it's it's a huge problem. And these the these chemicals go right through the skin into the body. So if you're a if you're a woman, working with these chemicals, you, you, this this can have a great effect on your hormone system. Now what's funny is in the cleaning industry, which I've been a part of for thirty six years. I always get the big burly guy who says, man, <clears throat> I'm a big burly guy, man. I, I don't have to worry about that hormone right. stuff. And my favorite, <laughs> well, my favorite joke is testosterone is a hormone.
0: <laughs> we've, we, we've got it flowing through our bodies already.
1: Yeah, so the guys are all, well, I'm tough and I can handle all these chemicals. If, if you can, and you don't think that this is an issue for men, why do we have the lowest testosterone counts in the United States? in the history of, of this measured hormone. What chemistry are we putting into our bodies? Putting these harmful toxins in our body can affect a whole bunch of different systems. It can make you not able to sleep. It can make you not able to focus. And, and any chemistry or chemical that would willfully say, well, I'm gonna have you sort of disinfect a surface and then I'm gonna poison you at the same time. And by the way, if you're Karen and you have to disinfect the hotel room or the hospital room on a day-to-day basis. We're asking Karen to work with a deadly toxic poison that really isn't very effective. Because here's the other side of those wipes. Here's when I say they don't work. If you turn the packaging around and you look at the back of the packaging, there's very specific language. It by the way, it's in about a number four font. So. Uh, unless you're my 19-year-old son, you're going to need a magnifying glass. But I'll give I'll give you one um, from a Clorox package, which happens to be one of the leading wipers out there. It says to disinfect the surface, the surface must remain wet, visibly wet, for four minutes. Well, with just the ventilation in a building, that's impossible. The product dries out in 30 seconds to a minute, and so what happens, Daniel, when that when we don't disinfect the rec- the right way? as the germs get smarter it's like that quote from jeff goldblum in jurassic park nature finds a way well the germs are getting smarter the germs are becoming more aggressive the once very passive cruise ship disease which we call norovirus which had one version of it about 7 years ago we called it the norwalk virus now referred to as norovirus because we've so badly handled the the management of it, it almost closed Chipotle. That was the norovirus that went through Chipotle. It wasn't the flu, it was norovirus. Norovirus now lives in three different kinds of strains. So it just means it got stronger and smarter. It's a fancy way to say that. So now when we see schools closing, I happen to live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville has closed their schools now for two weeks. They said, well, it's the flu. But it's not, it's dysentery and it's a stomach issue. It's misdiagnosed norovirus. So what's the economic impact of a closed school? Let's just think about that for a second. About 70% of the families that attend schools around the country are hourly workers. And so if you are a parent of a child that's say seven years old and your son, now the school closes and you and your wife both get paid by the hour, not a salary, and you can't go to work, you can't get a paycheck. And and if you can't go to work because your child can't attend the school, or worse yet, your child attends the school and then comes home with an extremely debilitating illness and nicely shares it with everybody in the family, so now we've got a family full of sick kids. This is where when we don't clean and disinfect properly, we create a much bigger problem for families, for schools, um, as a simple, as a simple raw statistic, um, when we look at hospitals today, ninety thousand people in this country, in the United States, die every year from what we call hospital-acquired infections. You go in for a simple procedure. You're going to have a hernia operation, or you're going to have your tendon reattached on your arm. Lo and behold, you get. C. difficile, or what we call Clostridium difficile, or you pick up a staph infection. 90,000 people a year die from that. And, and, and it doesn't need to be. It's that the procedures that have long been accepted as sort of, well, it's okay, right, so we wipe the surface. That those procedures, which have really haven't changed since about 1972, are really causing this to become an epidemic. And, 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 and the bigger issue for us as a society is the pharmaceutical companies have publicly said, publicly said, they will no longer make new antibiotics. There's no profit in it. So they aren't going to make new antibiotics. So uh, most people who've gotten sick recently would know of what's called a five pill, they call it a pack. it's Zithromax. It's kind of a broad spectrum, disin- or broad spectrum antibiotic. Well, the problem is that doesn't work anymore because the germs figured it out. They got smarter, but there are no new antibiotics. So that means when we send our children to school, if the school is riddled with norovirus or the flu, as we saw last year, 53,000 people died from the flu in this country. 1,300 of those were children. They didn't die from some advanced disease. They died from the flu. And so improper cleaning, improper disinfection, people say, well, John, it's just blue glass cleaner. And I go, I know, but if I handed you a bottle of liquid and I said, this is a lethal poison, take it into your home, would you really take it into your home? Would you expose your children to it? That's the, that's the risk that we have today, is that this? we're not properly cleaning. We're risking the health of the workers that we say we care about in, in schools, universities, and, and and hospitals. But very often, we're actually bringing these things into our own home.
0: Well, John, we we unpacked one quote for 10 minutes, that there's a lot of weight behind that quote, which I, I love. Mm-hmm. And so now let's dig in a little more into some of the specifics for the environments, where we do often utilize these cleaning products and where... sanitization is so essential one of them is schools I think we'll focus mostly on schools but we can just use them as an example for other large public areas so when you think about the standard for a school or other public spaces to disinfect their um, you know public spaces whether that's a desk a seat um, a computer keyboard whatever it is what is that standard typically and how does it miss the mark Because in my head, the way you just described it, it sounds like the standard is basically take a Clorox wipe, go to town, and that's about it. Or, you know, take a paper towel and some spray cleaner, wipe down, and then, you know, you're done. So how is that missing the mark? I know you kind of already explained it, but dig in a little deeper into that that school-specific scenario.
1: Well, the the challenge becomes, Daniel, that first off, it's just, I wish I could tell you that the standard is these five points, it isn't. Unfortunately, in public schools today, we have to have a specific number of teachers, we have to have a specific number of principals. We don't have to have a specific number of people to ensure that the building is healthy. On average, in schools, both universities and K-12s, it's about one person for every 55,000 square feet. So one person is responsible for that. In schools, the desks are almost rarely or never, ever cleaned. That might shock people, but there's just not enough people to hand wipe the top of every desk and the back of every desk. So children coughing and sneezing on these desktops, there's no way to physically hand wipe 2,000 desks every day, every week. It's usually done as a crisis mode. When we get to the restrooms, yes, there's more attention given there. But usually what happens is some random chemical, could be a cleaner, might be a cleaner and a disinfectant, is sprayed on the toilet seat and, and a lick and a prayer or a quick wipe goes on. Um, if, those, if that isn't done procedurally correct, and that means giving the disinfectant time to sit there, and if the surface isn't pre-cleaned and then disinfected, well, the germs are going to be there. And that's what's driving the health illness. Every school district sort of creates this on their own. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are technologies today created by on-site generation of chlorine solutions. Now I say chlorine, people go, oh, swimming pool. No, there's there's an enhanced version of this solution that's neutral pH. I could take a black wool sweater and throw it into this product. It's non-toxic, it's non-poisonous. As a matter of fact, Daniel, it actually is created in your white blood cells. That's how benign it is. But instead of asking some 55-year-old janitor to go in and hand wipe down these desks or a lecture center, we can take this and put it into an atomizing sprayer. This person can come in and in a matter of two minutes, apply this neutral pH chlorine solution over every desk every day or every other day. And do the same thing inside of the restrooms, and clinical studies have shown and documented that when this is done as a probiotic, what happens is schools don't close. So instead of using, um, you know, a desk phone, and saying, "Well, I'm going to call everybody," you and I are doing this podcast through the internet. I'm connected to you wirelessly. We're using technology to communicate ideas. Well. In the cleaning area, so often what we see is people are still using candlestick phones to do their cleaning, chemicals that were long since outdated. But they've been there because we always knew that company or we always bought from that firm. Where other schools are using this chlorine technology that's generated on site so that the solutions are very fresh, and they're delivering these in a comprehensive fashion in a, in a spraying device that allows us to put this over all the desks all at once matter of fact interestingly enough beyond schools we're we're talking specifically about that here's a little trivia question what's the 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 most what's the place with the highest amount of germs that you might not that that moves in a public school
0: Ooh, i can i can get this one it's the phone isn't it
1: school bus
0: Oh, no. (laughs) I was close. A a school bus... (laughs) Just a little (laughs) close, right? A
1: school bus is an incubator with tires. Yeah, sure is. It's warm, it's heated, it's moist, it has people in it. Kids get in this, you put one sick kid in with 72 sick kids, now you got 63 sick kids. School buses are never cleaned inside, hand-wiped. The outsides get a nice wash and a foamy shampoo. But as far as sanitizing or disinfecting the bus... All the bus becomes is the incubator to bring a sick kid to school. With this misting technology through on-site generation, that doesn't have to be. And tests have been done to chronicle the fact that when we mist, this solution is so effective that what it does is it actually equals the full value of if I asked you to go in and hand wipe down every seat or every desk in the school.
0: Well, we'll dig in more into some of that innovative technology here in a little bit. I want to focus just a little longer on the chemicals that aren't really working for us and that pose some really serious health risks. And I think, yes, you've already mentioned um, the people that are using these wipes and are handling the cleaning products daily, inhaling it, getting it on their skin, they are going to be the most susceptible to those health risks. But there are people down the chain of operations that also get affected by these cleaning products. And often that's workers further down the chain in sanitation. Um, So explain to me a little bit how using the wrong chemicals to disinfect a school or other public space can have a larger chain reaction than people can realize, which is you know, another reason why it's so important to invest time, energy, and money into chemicals that um, work efficiently and safely.
1: Well, so what we look at is, is think of uh, uh, going into a restaurant. I happened to be, of all places, in a, in a Red Lobster a couple of weeks ago having lunch. Client had picked that location. In the process of sanitizing that restaurant table, the nice lady who was spraying it down, when I looked at the chemical bottle she was using, which was drifting over onto my chicken sandwich, I said, um, can I see the bottle? And she said, yeah, it's just sanitizer. I could tell by the color coding on the bottle it wasn't. It was toilet bowl cleaner. People grab spray bottles and they use them indiscriminately. It's almost ubiquitous to walk into a public school and see them spraying down the, di- the cafeteria tables with window cleaner. First off, it's a poison. It leaves a poison on the table. If a child puts their sandwich on that table, they're going to ingest the blue glass cleaner. Secondly, it doesn't kill any germs. That can't kill any germs. Lastly, what often happens is we get what we call creative consumption. So somebody says, "Well, I really want to make sure this is working really well, so I'm going to use I'll mix some chemicals together to make something stronger. Very often, these products are not compatible. Certain things like bleach and ammonia create mustard gas. This will kill you. There are other cleaning chemicals that are like phosphoric acids that are required that that, that people believe are required. They'll go in and use them on bathroom uh, tubs and tiles to get rid of Lyme scale. Those products will destroy lung tissue. They'll literally destroy the lung tissue in the body. They're very commonly used every single day. And, what, and, and here's the other side of it. What becomes of the containers that these chemicals are stored in? So the school or the hospital gets done with the container. There's still an ounce or so or two ounces in there. Now they're gonna use 50 of these in a week. They throw them into the waste stream because only about a half of a percent of professional cleaning chemical containers are even recycled. In some places, they they won't accept them as recycling because they know it's in there. When those go into the waste stream, those chemicals wind up in either sorting centers, so now we're poisoning the people at the sorting center because all these chemicals are mixing, or look at the fabulous work that this uh, new organization called 4Ocean is doing. We have a sea of plastic floating around in the ocean. It's in rivers and lakes uh, that that plastic, it's not unusual to find trigger bottles that have either been washed out by a flood or a heavy rain or simply discarded over the side of a car or window that are floating in our society. These plastic bottles are full of chemistry, have enough chemistry in it to be harmful to the environment, and they're out there by the tons for ocean the advocacy group, documents that that uh, commercial cleaning bottles can be as much as 10% of what they harvest out of the world's oceans. I mean, the, so we're taking these toxins, and if it isn't bad enough that we poison our schools, poison our workers, and then we throw them into society to, to, to harm the environment, we have to look to for ways to have products that can do a better job of cleaning, a better job of killing, without killing us and, and poisoning our society.
0: So I think a perfect example of how misuse of chemicals can really lead to catastrophic effects for an entire region can be pointed to the measles outbreak in the Pacific Northwest. And I know there's a lot to unpack there, including the (laughs) pro-anti-vaccine debate, which we're definitely not going to get into because there's just not enough (laughs) time for that. Agreed. But I think on the sanitation side of it and the maintaining of health within your public space side of it, there could have been you know, more actionable decisions, better chemicals used, safer chemicals used, more effective chemicals used. Give me some insight as to how a more focused sanitation plan could have prevented that outbreak in the Pacific Northwest.
1: So measles, while a miserable uh, illness to have, very, very uncomfortable and, and can be catastrophic, but in most cases it's just miserable very much like pink eye and very much like um, uh, chicken pox. These are, are, are miserable illnesses. And, and, and yes, we have vaccines. To vaccine it not, or to do that or not, that remains a family's choice, and I don't think any of us are going to fix that. But when measles comes to the school, hand-wiping surfaces is not practical. It's n- you're never going to be able to comprehensively cover it. And in Seattle, had they been using... Uh, this on-site generated version of chlorine, measles would have been stopped dead in its tracks. It would have never spread. Um, It's it's very much like a weak virus. It's not... There are viruses that are very strong, Daniel, that can live outside of the body for a long time and can really prosper. Measles is not one of those. And when we... If we took a more comprehensive approach, now, it's not always the chemistry. Sometimes it's the delivery mechanism. If you come up to somebody who's, you know, in the middle of their 50s or even if they're in their 20s and say, let me give you a really nasty-smelling, vicious disinfectant. Hey, Daniel, you're going to love spending the next six hours wiping desks. <laughs>
0: Oh, thanks. So, sounds like my perfect, uh, perfect afternoon. Yeah,
1: oh, thanks. That'll be great. Or if I said to you, look, I'm going to give you something that doesn't hurt your skin. It's non-toxic, non-poisonous. I'm going to put it into this power mister. You can do this whole classroom, and instead of hand wiping it and doing it over hours, you're going to get the whole thing done in two minutes. You alone now can do the whole school in an afternoon shift. Now measles is dead. It, we kill it right in its tracks. The reason the flu got such a, 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 fu- a, le- a strong leg last year was because the, um, the chemical that they made, the version of the flu they made to give people to immunize them, was the wrong version. There, was, there were three different versions of the flu out there. and they, they, If you get the wrong anecdote, what will happen is the, you, if you get uh, H1N1 and you, were, and you were immunized for influenza A, It's not going to work. But having this on-site generation, being able to deliver it in a comprehensive fashion would kill the flu in that building. It doesn't matter the strain because this is a solution that has the ability to kill viruses very rapidly and then it has the ability to be deployed in a more comprehensive fashion, sort of like a a cell phone versus a desk phone. It's just that much of a difference in technology.
0: So to wrap things up, I'm glad you keep bringing up on-site generation. I think that's the key here is that you don't wanna be In the midst of an outbreak or when you know it's time to sanitize that you need to be third partying these services. It'd be great to have it on site integrated part of your public space part of your school, but I think that there's a bit of a barrier there mostly because schools already operate on really tight budgetary restrictions so explain to me how a school or another public facility can invest money and energy into proper on-site operation of sanitization even amid some already tight budgetary restrictions
1: so that's a great question so there's there's lots of different ways that facilities schools and others can can access this first off. The history of this machinery of on-site generation was once that they were as big as the refrigerator in your house and they were thirty to $50,000 and nobody could access these things and, and complex. You had to have an electrical degree and an engineering degree. But today these devices have gotten as big as a Keurig coffee maker. These machines are down to the price of about $1,000 and you can put that in a misting device into a, a building for sixteen dollars to $1,800. They're very, very low cost and, and they're intuitive. And what I mean by that is they're very easy to understand how to use. They have, the user interfaces have gotten far simpler, far easier, and, and they've really become simple tools. The, the, and, the, and the flip side of that is there are now service providers in the US. So sometimes, you make a great point, sometimes a school says, oh my gosh, I have this outbreak now, but I've used up all my budget. Well, always, schools always have what are called operational budgets. That's to fix lawnmowers or buy more light fixtures, the maintenance that goes on in the physical structure. Those budgets can be tapped so that you can hire a contractor. So if you can't do it, there are contractors that will come in and physically do this for you. And when measles first showed up in Seattle, if they didn't have the resources to do it themselves, had they simply employed one of these contractors, a contractor could have come in and completely remediated this building by building, thus stopping the outbreak. But it, it, it wasn't done, they returned to old habits. And that's the advantage of on-site generation is where it was once unobtainable, difficult, and clunky. Today it is compact and intuitive. It's, it, it's so easy and affordable for any facility to work with. It's really changed the whole narrative
0: which is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very much like, uh, you know, the computer. You know, when I started in my career, the computer was, um, was a very, very complex device. I remember getting my first one, and it was DOS-based. And I remember semicolon backslash exe, and I thought, this is miserable. This, if this is how this is going to go forward. But guys like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs... Gates made it a utilitarian tool. It functions and it works. You know, Nobody gets Microsoft products because they go, ooh, it's exciting. Steve Jobs took it and made the computer exciting and interesting and turned it into everything from the iPod to, to the technology we all see today. And, and that's where this on-site generation has evolved into is where once it was kind of a clunky, ugly machine, it's evolved now to where... Any worker in any building could say, we can afford this. The boss typically likes it because it's going to knock the germs out of the building and and, and it's not terribly expensive. The workers like it because it doesn't make them sick and they can get so much more work done.
0: So really, there are very few excuses to not try to implement a process like this in your public space, which is which is good, but also a little discouraging that we're not seeing a complete overhaul in all schools or all public spaces towards this method you know we're still relying on the clorox wipe so i think there's still discussion to be had here but we are reaching our time limit so john i'm gonna have to schedule a second follow-up because i feel like there's so much to still unpack here especially because you hold several patents for innovative sanitizing products. So we could do a whole podcast just describing the technology that's helping power this next wave of sanitization in public spaces. But anyways, John, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the podcast, giving us your insight on this topic. I know I learned a lot. I hope our building management audience definitely learned some great tips for how to implement this into their public spaces, but the conversation's definitely not over. So I'll be calling you up soon.
1: All right, Daniel, thank you very much for your time today. really enjoyed the conversation.
0: And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you like what you heard and would like to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.